Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly with you for The Briefing. In this episode, we look at a very strong opinion piece from Antoinette Latouf that she's published on The Guardian. It's about the work-family balance for women, and she argues that the whole notion of having it all is a complete myth that's used to punish women, and she's had a really interesting conversation with Annabelle Crabb about it. The uproar when people write articles saying, oh, see, women can't have it all, um, is different from what it was 10 years ago. People go berserk when they read that. (laughs) Yeah, it's a very interesting interview that might get your blood boiling. Um, That is our briefing. First, today's headlines with Jeanette Francis. Jan Fran, it's February 16th. Well, the captain of the Thai football team, um, that was the team of young boys that was rescued from a cave in 2018, I'm very sad to say has died in the UK. The 17-year-old, who was known as Dom, was found unconscious in his dorm in Leicestershire. He was on a scholarship at a football academy there. Now, what we know is that he was taken to hospital on Sunday, but he did pass away overnight. Um, Police have said that his death is not being treated as suspicious, Tom, and that it may be related to a head injury. Yeah, really sad story. It was just uh, last August where he got the scholarship to go to the UK. So he was continuing on with his football and now something really sad and deadly has happened. Yeah, it's funny because so many people were invested in the story of these boys. I mean, Mm. in 2018, I was almost glued to the TV waiting for them to be rescued from the cave. It was this massive international operation. And finally, when they uh, rescued the last person out of there alive, I remember kind of running into the other room and saying, the the boys are out of the cave. So, you know, we sort of felt invested in in their Mm. lives. So it's been really sad to hear this story. And the Reserve Bank Governor has faced uh, grilling in Senate estimates in Canberra. Of course, this comes after raising interest rates nine times in a row. It's noisy, but raising interest rates is always unpopular. That's Philip Lowe, who was defending his decision to push the cash rate all the way up to 3.35. We want to get inflation down because it's dangerous. It's corrosive, it hurts people, it damages income inequality, and if it stays high, it leads to higher interest rates and uh, more unemployment. Yeah, so inflation's still at 7.8%. Um, he did point out that during his time in the job, the unemployment rate has been at one of its lowest. It's still down at 3.5%, which is pretty incredible. He did warn there's more rate hikes on the way, but didn't say how many. I don't think we're at the peak yet, yeah. but how far we have to go up, I don't know. Yeah, so that comment, Jan, got a bit of critique and made some headlines, but the fact is he can't tell people where this is going to end, even if he knows, because it moves markets and behaviour, and the fear is that if people know it's just about to peak, they might go out and spend more money and make the inflation problem worse. Well, he did say that the RBA wasn't going to raise rates until 2024, so there are some predictions (laughs) that he feels confident to make um, that move markets and change behaviour. I know a bunch of people who took out mortgage loans based on that information alone. Mm. So, you know, he he has declared things in the past that have now demonstrably become um, untrue. He did say, though, that it was a bit unfair that all of the criticism had been directed at him. Mm. Um, He said that there were nine people there on the board, on the RBA board, who make these decisions. 
Not all nine are the governor, though, of the Reserve <laughs> Bank, which is, you know, probably why there's a little bit more attention um, being paid to him. Yeah, well, his term ends in September and normally they get extended. But, yeah, there's just become, I guess, so much focus on him because of that um, prediction he got wrong, which screwed over so many people. Yeah. My expectation is that he won't even want to go past his term in September. He said yesterday that he will he will sort of finish it, but... He's copping so much flack for, for making that mistake that I don't think he'd want to continue anyway. To North Queensland, where there are fears growing for the two miners who were in a ute that plunged down a 25-metre underground hole. Wow. So there's a search and rescue operation that is currently underway. This is at the Zinc Mine, which is about 70 kilometres uh, northwest of Cloncurry. It's understood a drilling rig fell into a stope, which is sort of a massive dugout tunnel. This happened yesterday morning. The driver of the rig managed to escape, but the ground gave way and the ute behind the rig fell into that hole. The MMG Limited site has stopped operations. It's activated its emergency response. Um, and there are drones that are being used to check the stability of the environment before rescue crews are sent in. And yesterday we brought you this crazy cocaine story out of Western Australia. So uh, about two weeks ago, three men were rescued from the ocean, clinging to their esky. This was off the coast of Albany. It was a you know great Aussie story. But then when their boat washed up and got searched, um, authorities found 365 kilos of cocaine in the boat. But the men had already disappeared. Um, so there's a police search on for the three men. And the big news um, this morning is that one of them has been found um, in the Northern Territory. So it's expected that he's going to be um, extradited to WA because it's believed these men are part of a transnational drug operation. The other two men are still on the run. Oh, no. Imagine being the, the folks who found them clinging to the esky and were like, all right, sir, you're good to go. Have a great day. Let's hope we never see or hear from you ever again. Next minute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, do you mind if we have a look in the esky? Anyway. <laughs> like, did someone get their phone number or any contact details as to where they might be? No. Yeah. Anyway, they found one. Those other two better look out. Um, we're out of here. Antoinette's going to bring you this really interesting conversation with Annabelle Crabb. So, a trigger warning, the content you're about to hear contains phrases and assumptions some of you may find distressing. Things like, women can't have it all, and what about the poor children? And as much as I'd prefer not to be having this conversation, I feel compelled to after two media outlets, first the BBC about Jacinda Ardern's resignation, and then the Daily Telegraph's little listicle of Australian presenters who were divorced, female presenters, by the way, both published articles about successful women and framed them around this idea that women can't have it all. To unpack what all actually is and who signed up for it and how this measure is applied to men, if at all. I'm joined by Annabelle Crabb. She's an author, an ABC writer and TV host. Annabelle, thanks for joining us. I want to start off with this phrase that's like bandied around so much, like having it all, because there are variations of it, like you can have it all, but not all at once, or you can indeed have it all, but you need a lot of help. How do you use the phrase or have you like straight out vetoed it? 
Oh, mate, I boycotted it. It's such a ridiculous and loaded phrase. I think it's not even a, I mean, it's not even a descriptive flat phrase. It's almost like an accusative phrase. And I think over mm. the years, it's been used sort of as an implicit criticism of women, as though there's a sort of a, a greediness involved in wanting all of it, you know, eating all of the donut or something. And it also doesn't really make sense in terms of human lives. I mean, you can't do everything at once, right? And the issue for women is that there's been an implicit demand over the last half a century as women have moved into the workplace, but not really moved out of the home, held on to a lot of those domestic responsibilities, that you're sort of failing unless you're doing all of those things brilliantly. And, you know, working motherhood is a bit like uh, feeling the crushing obligation to work as though you don't have kids and to parent as though you don't have a job. And it's really only women that are in the main, kind of obliged to consider that a failure. If you look at politics, for instance, you know, that institution of parliament is built around the idea of a father who's got kids, so he's in touch with, you know, family values and has a a wife who takes on responsibility for running the household. And it's kind of functioned that way um, pretty unremarkably for many, many (laughs) years. And this new wave of women that have come into the parliament have generally tried to fit in and do stuff the way the blokes do. And that has put an enormous amount of pressure on them because they're still being judged for leaving their families for 20 weeks a year in a way that um, the fathers aren't. And just for a moment, I I want to stick with the origins of the phrase because I wonder how many people know the fact that it was a title of a popular book published in the early 80s, but the author didn't actually want that title and and it's kind of stuck as though it's a feminist mantra that that has since let us down. Do you think it's worth noting and unpacking that that very phrase was on, it was imposed on women from day one? Yeah, look, I mean, history is littered with examples of phrases that or, or pieces of work that were created to express one sentiment that then get borrowed to create another. I mean, um, Donald Horn's The Lucky Country is another great example in this country of that. And um, just ask Bruce Springsteen, who had born in the USA, adopted for every Republican campaign, even though it probably um, in detail isn't quite like that. I think the way that it's used is, I think, outdated the uproar when people write articles saying, oh, see, women can't have it all, um, is different from what it was 10 years ago. People go berserk when they read that. (laughs) And that's really partially why we're having this chat, because anyone who follows me on social media or reads opinion pieces will know that I was particularly frustrated this week because off the back of the BBC headline a few weeks ago asking if women can have it all when New Zealand's PM Jacinda Ardern decided to step down, Uh, Just a few days ago, a tabloid newspaper published a comment piece about a handful of women in the media industry suggesting they can't have it all because they're now no longer married. And that being a mother and being married and being successful, all these factors are incongruent. Um, So do you think something has shifted or are you still frustrated that this this kind of crap really is it's still being written? Oh, look, I'm a sort of demented optimist. So um, what I take heart from is the fact that when sentiments like that are published, you tend to get a really outraged response, not only from women, but from men too. Look, I think one of the reassuring things um, that tells me that change is happening is, yes, that outrage that happens when those sentiments are expressed, but also because all available research tells us that millennial men 
look at parenthood differently mm. from their fathers, right? Like in literally in two weeks, that pandemic changed the way a lot of men worked and showed organizations that flexible work actually is productive work. Very possible. Right. And so now you've got a tight employment market and what's happening in the big professional services firms. So big organizations with lots of young employees is that they're in a war for talent. And one of the tools that they're using to attract young and talented employees is offering good work-life balance proposals and packages. And yes, that's great if you work in a white collar professional services firm, but like those organizations do set the tone for industrial arrangements. And so I think that's really significant. A lot of those big firms have now got gender neutral parental leave schemes, which they absolutely did not have um, 10 years ago. So what sort of conversation should we be having instead? Like, does it change anything to ask men if they can have it all? Because you've previously asked both Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg uh, words to, to the effect of, like, how do you juggle it all? No, it was so funny when um, Jacinta Ardern became Prime Minister and there was this huge, like, just, you know, an absolute worldwide, oh, my God, moment where people are like, oh, How's she going to manage, you know, when she announced she was pregnant, sorry. The response to that made me, when Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg became the first Prime Minister-Treasurer combo since Malcolm Fraser to both have little kids whilst being Prime Minister and Treasurer, I thought someone will ask that, like, you know, oh, my God, how are you going to manage it all? Crickets, like nobody asked them that, which is so funny because it was so closely following Jacinda Ardern's announcement. And that's a really good demonstration of the depths of this sentiment, right? Like all of this stuff is associated more with women than it is with men. I hope, my hope post-pandemic is that this visibility that we now have of what's happening at home for people who, you know, turn up for work nine to five will help break down those barriers and help men to feel comfortable about saying, hey, look, um, can I start early and end early that day because I've got this thing with my kid, you know, or I've got to do this or, you know, I'd like to work flexibly. I think they now feel more comfortable about the practicalities of that, having been forced to do it um, to a very great degree during lockdowns. And I think when taken with the legislative change that's happening to change the language around parental leave to be um, more inclusive of men and the infrastructural changes that um, I talked about earlier in big professional services firms that are changing their flexible work packages, they're changing their parental leave packages and aggressively targeting men. I think change is never as simple as just passing a new law or, you know, mm. legislating for people to think differently. It's actually made up of a whole bunch of little changes and I think there are many of them afoot. I'm interested to hear what your response is when people say things like, you know, times are changing, things are getting better, we're much closer to achieving gender equality. Think about our our mothers and our grandmothers, their situation was um, so much worse. Like, should we be grateful and, and perhaps a little more patient? No, because, I mean, I remember having this conversation with Tanya Plibersett once um, when I was writing The Wife Drought and <laughs> went and had a cup of coffee with her early in the morning was the only time she could spare. She had three kids. I had three kids. We were both away from them in Canberra. And I said, oh, well, you know, both of us are really lucky because we've got really good jugglers 
as partners. I mean, both of our partners had quite demanding jobs and both really muck in to do the really like serious mental labor of arranging things for kids and so on. And she looked at me and she said, you know what? I don't feel lucky. I think that this should be the norm. I don't think that we should feel as if having a partner who shares equally in the joys and responsibilities of having a family should be a luck thing. It shouldn't be. And I thought, you're absolutely right. And I've often thought about that. And I think that should be the goal, not, you know, there you go, ladies, you're getting a bit of help with the dishes. It's like, well, it's not just making life easier for women. That is the prerogative here. It's actually allowing men to experience life in its fullness. The outcome of two parents, if there are two parents, both being super involved in a child's life, the benefits to that kid and to the dad are lifelong. So we're not just talking here about women getting a hand at home. We are talking about improving the lives of humans for generations. Annabelle Crabb, author, writer and TV presenter, and her series Back in Time um, is back March 7. Back in time for the corner shop, um, it's a brutal reminder of what having it all used to mean for women working often unpaid in family businesses while shouldering the entirety of the cleaning and cooking while being unable, not allowed to own property. And I watched the earlier season back in time for dinner with my young daughters and um, as well as being entertaining and funny, my kids were shocked. They, my girls were shocked and disappointed when they got a glimpse of what life for women in Australia just recently was like. And after watching it, I I remember wearing this pink power suit for work and I had an apron on top and was like frying up this big breakfast, running around in heels and trying to get out the door. And my little one said, Mummy, you're like a 1950s wife from that show. And you're also what she called a new day wife with a busy job. You do all the jobs. And I definitely don't want my kids thinking that they have to do it all uh, because they were sold some marketing gimmick about having it all. Listener.